He's been a great friend. We've lost a little contact over the years here as he stepped out in faith and uh, pretty much given up his business to preach the gospel. So please welcome my friend Mark Apple. Hallelujah, Lord God. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Lord God. Hallelujah. Let's just worship him a moment. Hallelujah, Lord God. We worship you, Father God. You're Lord. You are Jesus. Jesus. Everybody say Jesus. Jesus. Doesn't that feel good to say Jesus? Hallelujah. You are worthy. You are worthy. You are worthy. Hallelujah. Yeah. Hallelujah. I like to tell people your spirit knows what we're shouting about. Your mind kind of kind of wonders, kind of says, is, is he really worthy? Your spirit man knows that you've been set free. Your spirit man knows you've been redeemed. Your spirit man knows you've been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, that you get to go to heaven and you are not going to be shut out from the, from, from the presence of the Lord. Hallelujah. We get to go to heaven. We get to have a relationship with Jesus. And whenever it gets a little dry, whenever it gets just a little bit, just a little bit where I don't feel his presence, I've got to pursue that relationship. I've got to get into a place, hallelujah, where him and I are just glued together again. Hallelujah. There's nothing like Jesus. Amen. Glory to God. Thank you for uh, inviting me, uh, Pastor uh, Tom, and, and you guys permitting Pastor Tom to have me here. I thank you guys for, uh, you're actually supporting us. I don't know if you all know that, but uh, you support us monthly, just like a missionary, and that's what we are to Redfield, South Dakota. So it's just been a blessing to have you guys. Uh, this is kind of, I mean, we started many millions of years ago, but about 12 or 15, 12, 14 years ago, this is where our home church was. And uh, am I in the wrong spot? I love it where the light is not. <laughs> I shouldn't say that, but <laughs> hallelujah. <laughs> I had that all figured out. Praise God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise God. Hallelujah. So it's, um, so we got our foundation, a lot of our foundation in the last 12 years right here. God teaching us a whole bunch so that we can last and be steadfast and be unmovable and uh, do what's happening in Redfield. And um, it's been rough. It's been tough. And it keeps getting better. You know, it's not as hard as it used to be. When we first got there, for six months, I couldn't even walk. The day I moved in, all of a sudden, my hip went out. Couldn't even walk right. I couldn't lay down right. I couldn't get up. And the only, the only peace was if I just kept moving. Well, you get tired keeping moving, amen? But we read in the Bible where we get the victory, so we just kept pressing in, and, and I'm not going to bore you with all the different situations, but we have gone through some. It is worth it. It is worth it. It is worth it. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, Jesus. We're going to talk about pleasing God, um, and hopefully it's exciting to please God because uh, it's going to come out of a verse that maybe you wouldn't think it would. But um, I think I'm going to start with a testimony. First, I'm going to read Scripture in Isaiah 61. Isaiah 61. This came so strong to me just coming down here. That's why I want to start with it. I wasn't planning on starting with this verse, but... Uh, 
The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me. This, Jesus spoke this in Luke chapter 4. He opened up his, pretty much opened up his ministry. It might not have been exactly the first time, but it's right there at the front of his ministry. It said, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God. Now, 2,000 years ago, he stopped at, and before he died and rose from the dead, he stopped at, uh, proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, but I like to say, and the day of the vengeance of the Lord, because I'm sick and tired of the devil. I don't like the enemy, and him and me got a, 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 an understanding. He doesn't like me at all, and I don't like him at all, and he can't get nothing away. He can't get away with anything with me, because I don't like it. He's always trying to rob a little bit more of my Jesus. Amen? I don't know, is that how he works with you? But it says, the day of vengeance of the Lord, Amen? His wrath is being poured out on demonic activity that's trying to beat us up. They said, Lord, you're not going to torture us before our time, are you? And Jesus said, yes. <laughs> and let's have that attitude. We're going to talk about pleasing God. And in the, in, the, in, the, uh, in the process of pleasing God, we will be free. Hallelujah. It's a mutual pleasing. He is so pleased to see us free. Hallelujah. Well, I got to go here because, hallelujah. I'll read one more verse, uh, uh, 1557 and 58 of 1 Corinthians, actually. But thanks be to God, which gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. But thanks be to God, which gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. But thanks be to God. We don't always feel like we're in victory. I'm not bragging, I'm not complaining, but I'm dead serious. I'm beginning to live in a place called victory. It's not a, it's a place like, I mean, that famous fight last night, if anybody's following fights, that's like the best fight I've seen in five years, except I didn't see it yet, because I wanted to be ready for tonight, and I didn't want that stuff in me. But uh, old Crawford and Spence went at it last night, and Crawford knocked him out like I figured he would in about nine rounds. I read a little about it, so I catch up and know what, at least what happened later on. I'm going to look at it. But, uh, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Go, those guys, the biggest 147-pounders I've ever seen in my life, and when you look at them, they've got these big pouches of muscle all up and down their body, and, and they're just stalwart and strong and steadfast and unmovable, and you wouldn't want to get in the ring with them. And when the devil looks at us, he ought to just keep circling because he is not coming in the ring. Amen? We got to get him out of the ring, first of all. And then we got to keep him out of the ring. And we got, he's got to fear us. At his name, demons tremble. Well, they ought to be trembling, but they haven't been. I got the key today. All oh, them preachers always say that, don't they? Hallelujah. And it said, but thanks be to God, we got the victory through Jesus. Therefore, we got the victory. And both of those guys, before the fight for about three months or whatever, they'll be bad-mouthing each other and saying, yeah, you better come, it's going to be fireworks, and, and of course this guy's going to go down because he just don't know me, he don't know my style, he don't know that I got moves, and I'll, they go on and on and on. The devil, the devil ought to have to hear that constantly. I saw they got moves, man, I don't, I don't want to mess with them. We're fighting against, 
We're fighting against principalities and powers, spiritual wickedness in high places, rulers of the darkness of this world. And we have weapons of our warfare that are not carnal, but mighty through God to pulling down the strongholds. But we don't somehow know how to activate them. Yes, we do. Amen. Let's just do it. Let's activate today. Let's get, let's get the process going today. The next verse says, therefore, beings we've got victory, beings we're stalwart, beings we're all in shape, beings we got pads of muscle all over our body, spiritual bodies, beings we're built like that with the power of Jesus Christ in us, therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. So let me look at this word, word for you. Steadfast and unmovable are two different Greek words, but they pretty much mean the same thing, so I'm going to treat them kind of as one word. They're just, he's just saying, the Holy Ghost is saying in this verse, be unmovable, be steadfast. It means to be firmly fixed, not subject to change, to be firm in determination, to be loyal and faithful, uh, resolutely firm, unwavering. Uh, example would be to have steadfast loyalty, to uh, be like a racehorse. Uh, a racehorse is unmovable. He's got these uh, blinders on so he can't see the distractions from one side to another sometimes. And, or even a plow horse sometimes will have them on there. And they're steadfast and they just keep going forward. They're moving. Steadfast, unmovable doesn't mean you're not moving. We've got to remember that steadfast, unmovable means we want to be moving in the spirit, but we want to be unmovable to any distractions and anything would keep us outside of the ring of life. Amen? Hallelujah! I'm kind of excited about Jesus. I wasn't that way before I was saved. I had four years of suicidal, so um, don't forgive me for shouting. Just, uh, just enjoy it. Always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. We're going to talk about works, we're going to talk about immovable, and we're going to talk about abounding. So the two big words here today are steadfast and abounding. Abounding means to exceed a fixed number of me or measure, to be over, to overflow, to excel more than, to exceed. We are more than conquerors, more than conquerors through him that loves us. Furnish, to, uh, an example would be to furnish one richly so that one has abundance. To furnish one richly as though as one has abundance. As, uh, let's look in James chapter 5. I've, um, I've started on a kind of deceptive route here saying we're going to talk about pleasing God. But we're really going to be talking about persistent prayer. Because I think... I'm not very old in the Lord yet. I'm only about 40. But I think the thing that pleases God more than anything in the whole wide world is prayer. Let's see if I can prove that. Um, give me a chance. <laughs> As an example of suffering, James 5, um, I didn't even write down the verse, but it's 10th verse, yes. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. So he's saying, think of all these prophets. You can think of Daniel and Isaiah and Ezekiel and Jeremiah. And you can go on and on and on. And it says, um, and you know, if you've read their story, they've gone through some stuff. 
Um, it says, think of them. Behold, we consider those blessed who have remained steadfast. So we looked in that verse a little bit ago. Keep your memory going. It said, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. We consider blessed those who remain steadfast. You look at the end of their stories, and they were always blessed. You have heard of the steadfastness. Here's another steadfast word straight out of the ESV, which is almost a word-for-word translation of the Greek, so you can't complain about this word. It says, you have heard the steadfastness of Job. So he's talking to me. He's saying Job is one of the prophets. We can look at his life, and it's a prophetic life. And you have seen the purpose of the Lord and how the Lord is compassionate and merciful, James 5, 10, and 11. So we want to look at this word steadfast, and where did Job have to be steadfast? I'm not going to talk a lot about that. We want to get into prayer, but you have to be steadfast in prayer. When it says abounding in the work of the Lord in in Corinthians 15, you can work for the Lord by feeding the poor, clothing the hungry, adopting children, uh, being nice to your wife, Bob. Um, <laughs> just threw him off there. Uh, did I say visit prisoners? I mean, you name it. You can do all these different works for the Lord. You can even pray and call that a work for the Lord. But unless we truly have prayer that is in the Lord... None of these other works, and prayer itself is not really a work of the Lord. The Bible says the righteous acts of the saints, the linen that they were given was the righteous acts of the saints. And the Bible says all our righteousness is filthy rags, so it's got to be somebody else's works. And the work that we do, it says in uh, uh, Psalm 127, unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain. I can build the nicest house in the whole world. And it's just a bunch of, it's nothing. It's no good. it, 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 it It means nothing. It, it probably is negative if it, it's anything. But if the Holy Spirit helps me build the house, I don't labor in vain. But if anything else, and if the watchman watches at night so that no intruder can get in, unless the Lord is there, the city is guarded but in vain. Prayer is the thing that makes it so that it's God doing all the work. And I'm telling you, <clears throat> that was a shout. I'm telling you, I'm telling you, we, we, Jenny and I often, we're watching in Redfield, we're praying and praying and praying and praying. And then we go to church and we watch, what's God going to do today? It's just like we're watching him do it. He's building it. Our part is to get into the place and, and seek his face and have him take over our hearts in prayer and then watch what he does next. He's always surprising us. He's always ministering to us. He's always amazing. Okay, so number one, I see Job building the biggest ranch in the history of that time probably. And I should have looked this up because I always forget. Uh, I think it was 14,000 sheep at the end of his life and 6,000 camels, don't quote me because I'm probably wrong, 500 donkeys uh, and 500 yoke of oxen. And then a lot of that stuff was doubled because I went to the end in the front of the book there. But um, he had a huge place and a lot of helpers and a lot of workers and his children and everything. And and he loved his children so much that he continually, it says, I don't know what it means, but it says on each of their days, they would have a feast, and they'd have a festival. So I thought, it must be their birthday. I don't know. But each of their days, they'd have a festival that lasts for a few days. 
And I said, when it came their turn, then the other one would have one. And Job got to thinking, I know human nature because I used to be a human, he said. No, he is always a human, but he started relying on God. You know what his name means? Why hasn't I ever heard that? I had to look that up. No preacher ever told me. And I finally found out after all this years of living, you wouldn't believe what his name means. It must be a reason for it. It means hated. So, so devil comes before the Lord and he says, and the Lord says, have you considered my servant hated? <laughs> well, he was hated by the devil. Somebody was hated when they had that kid, I think, or something, but there's something going on. So he'd have a sacrifice, and he'd call them, and he said he would consecrate them. I'm not sure how that worked, but he would call them and consecrate them, and then he'd sacrifice for them because he didn't want them to be found in sin. He wanted to make sure they walked with the Lord. So uh, you know his story. Everything went bad. Everything was taken from him, and then even more was taken, and he got sores, and he was, he was cutting himself and scraping himself with pottery, and he couldn't even talk for seven days. It said they came, his, his friends came and visited him, for, and the first seven days, nobody said anything. Then Job piped up a little bit, and they didn't like what he said. They didn't like it at all, because all three of them called him a windbag. You know, in so many words, I'll read it to you. All three of them guys started out by, you're just an old windbag. Would you just be quiet? You need to listen to us. Who did they get in trouble from God? Careful what you tell God's people. Hallelujah. Bildad said this in chapter 8, verse 2 through 6. How long will you say these things? And the words of your mouth be a great wind. Windbag, right? Does God pervert justice or does the Almighty pervert the right? If your children have sinned against him... He has delivered them into the hand of their transgression. If you seek God and plead with the Almighty for mercy, if you are pure and upright, surely then he will rouse himself for you and restore your rightful habitation. What he's saying is, Job, you're living wrong. Your, your kids are a bunch of sinners, and that's why they're dead. That's what he just said. How would you like that when you're going through hell? And you, you got, to get relief, you've got to scratch yourself with pain even to make it less painful. And this guy comes and says, you're just full of wind. And then he says, the reason your kids are dead is because of iniquity and transgression. Well, you ever been through something and somebody comes and just loads that on you? I've probably done it myself. <laughs> I don't like to say that. But I, after I read this, I'm thinking, whoa, I better be extra, double, triple, careful. Um, so he says, first guy says, condemnation, condemnation, condemnation. You're a windbag, you talk too much, and your kids are dead because they're sinners. And then... Uh, and the next one is uh, Zophar, and he's in chapter 11, 2 through 5, 11 and 12. said, should a multitude of words, again, he's calling him a windbag, should a multitude of words go unanswered? Remember, Job had to, you ever feel like you got, you've gone through a lot of hell forever, and you're just going through it, and you go, finally you find three friends, and you just let it all out because you're so tired of holding it in and saying nothing. He just, he was just quiet for seven days. He just kept his mouth shut for seven days and said nothing. And now they're telling him just because he spouted off, and he didn't even say anything wrong, just because he spouted off that he's a windbag. Friend number two is just heaping it on a little deeper. Should a multitude of words go unanswered and a man full of talk be judged right? You, we can't judge you right, Job. Should, by the way, God in the first and second chapter said that Job was a righteous man without any unrighteousness in him. He was an upright man. So Job kept saying, no, I haven't been living in sin. And they keep saying, come on, there's a reason you're going through this, and it's because you're in sin. 
should your babble, quit talking so much, silence men, and when, they, when you mock, you say, we don't want to listen to you, you're just mocking people. Uh, that's not true. He wasn't mocking people. He's a very good man. Shall no one shame you? Shouldn't we shame you? For you say, my doctrine is pure, and I'm, a clean, in, and I'm clean in God's eyes. He just agreed with God that he was clean in God's eyes. That doesn't mean he was clean. We know that all people have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But what it meant was he was like David looking toward God. He had a, man, a, a heart after God's, a man, a man after God's own heart. And he was, if he did fall, he got right back up and continued forward, not backwards. It doesn't, when he says, I'm clean, it didn't mean he's never sinned. It means he's never, he never went backwards. If he fell, he just got up, sacrificed, and went right back. He trusted in the blood of Jesus. But oh, that God would speak and open his lips to you. My doc, um. For he knows worthless men, so he calls Job worthless here. When he sees iniquity, he will, not, will he not consider it? Now this is really low. He says, but a stupid man will get understanding when a wild donkey's colt is born. He says, Job, there's no hope for you until some donkey has a little man for a baby? You're stupid. He said, a stupid man will remain that way until a donkey has a baby man. That's what it says. That's exactly what it says. Read Job. <laughs> That's what it says. He says, you're too stupid. You're a hardhead. You're a knothead. You're a windbag. You're full of sin. And then his third friend. <laughs> Pastor might have to let me come preach again because uh, I don't know where we're going to get too far. Um, uh, what's this guy's name? Eliphaz. Should a wise man answer with windy knowledge in his belly with the east wind? Another third time they call him a windbag just because he was going through all that stuff. Should he argue on, in unprofitable talk or in words? Um, I didn't tell you if Job 15, 2 through 6 and further on. Or in words with which no man do no, in which words do no good, but you are doing away with the fear of God and hindering meditation before God. You're doing everything wrong, Job. You're doing everything wrong. For your iniquity teaches your mouth. Your sin has taught you what to say. You're deceived. And you choose the tongue of the crafty. Your own mouth condemns you. I'm not condemning you. No, sir, I'm not doing it. It's your own lips testifying against you. Both the gray-haired and the aged are among us older than your father. Job, we know what we're talking about. We got men here that are older than your dad. <laughs> Isn't there something in the scriptures? Dreadful sounds are in his ears. Prosperity, in prosperity, the destroyer will come upon him. In prosperity, the destroyer will come upon him. He's talking about a sinful man. Job was so prosperous. And this Eliphaz, he says, in, your in an evil man's prosperity, destroyer will come upon him. So they're all telling him it's because you're a sinner. Well, if you look at the confrontation before uh, 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 God and Satan earlier, we know that Job did nothing. I'm not exactly sure why God let him test him like that, but I know it proved that God loves Job and Job loves God. And it proved... It proved Job loves God, and it proved Job's not backing down, and, it, and it, uh, it probably did a lot more than what we know, and it made Job twice as uh, prosperous later on. But uh, at any rate, I said all that. So hopefully there's 
Two things you can get out of it. Number one is don't listen to people that are condemning. We've got the blood of Jesus. If we're turned toward him, that's all he's asking is that we cling to him, and he will forgive us, and he will help us go forward. Uh, if somebody's condemning you or your own heart is condemning you, uh, God is greater than our hearts. Let's get on with Jesus and go forward and win some victories. Uh, Probably the hardest thing for any victory that we ever need to receive from the Lord. Uh, we've been through, you, you all, and when I say we, we've all been through a lot of different trials in our lives. And the only reason you can get through and come out okay on the other end is because you had to fight against condemnation. The accuser of the brethren has been cast down and he's, he's sitting on around your shoulder and he needs to be knocked off. And uh, he... he that's his, his victory is if he can get us out of the prayer room through condemnation. No, you might still be in the prayer room. So much to this. God told me to tell you some of my testimony, and it just came to me. So uh, in 1989, I had had an injured back from wrestling for about eight to nine years. And I was kind of sick of going to the doctors and the chiropractors and all that. And I had been trying whatever, and they give me back relaxers and muscle relaxants. And, and I got to the point where I couldn't hardly walk at one point, you know, at a lot of points. Um, couldn't work on the farm for one summer. And I wouldn't have been able to work the next summer had God not healed me. But I went down into the prayer room every day after work. And a lot of times uh, in the prayer room, not in the prayer room, in the car, I refused to not work, so I'd go to the farm and I'd work and I'd be in all so much pain and I'd get, I'd get um, in the car to go home at night as a 12-mile drive and I'd have to sit like this, even though the car seat, you know, was like a car seat. I sat like that just to, just to be able to get home. And there's a long story and we'll tell you some of it. But I had, to, I had to sit like a plank just in order to get home. I always figured I had probably the strongest stomach muscles in the whole world because I couldn't even walk around without constantly being tight. When I sat down at the table, I would eat within about um, two minutes, maybe 60 seconds. I would eat what had to be eat. I lost lots of weight. And, and then, I would, um, then I'd go lay down if I could. That was in 89. And before that all started, the reason I brought that up before I forget to say this is I would go to the prayer room in our church in the basement. There used to be a little Assembly of God church in Redfield. Now there's a new Assembly of God church in Redfield. But uh, that one died out after a few years, uh, well, after whenever in the 90s, I think. And um, I'd go down in the basement and I'd pray because I just needed relief and I'd be praying in the Spirit. And one day when I was getting closer to the victory... I was just praying the Spirit. I was scared. I was scared to death to lift up my head. There was not one person in that building. But condemnation was so thick, I was too ashamed to even lift up my head. And I got tired of not lifting up my head, but I kept feeling the power of the Holy Spirit. And it took all that pain. Thank God for some of you that will actually move with God way before it gets that rough. But it took all that pain for me to finally look up because I feel this cloud around me of condemnation. It's just like a flock of, of demons. And I just said, get out of here in the name of Jesus. Get out in the name of Jesus. Jesus! And when that happened, I got up and I stood up and the pain was gone for... Uh, I may be getting some of these not totally perfect, but during one of those prayer times, I think it was that one where I got rid of that. 
I stood up and for quite a while I had no pain, but I didn't know how to hold on to that. So that pain would come back and the back problem would come back. But it gave me courage because I realized condemnation was stopping me. I didn't feel worthy to even look up in an empty room, let alone in a room of people. And in that condemnation, I was able to take authority and say in Jesus' name, I had to be steadfast. I had to be unmovable. I had to keep coming to that prayer room until I figured out what it was that was stopping me. And Job was steadfast. I'm sure he was a prayer man because of all the sacrifice it talks about that he put up. And at the end of the story, God was so angry with these three condemners. I mean, they were lining up with the devil. It's all your fault, Job. You're saying all the wrong things. You're condemning yourself. It's, it's your kids. It's you. It's everything. And you're a windbag. Every, all three of them agreed on that, so he, they had to be sure. But he still, wouldn't, he still wouldn't back down. He still said, no, no, I haven't done anything wrong. He did, he did end up falling off a little bit because he said, the one thing he did do wrong is he said, seems it doesn't do any good to serve God. And God said at the end of the book, he said, now you've, you've condemned me to saying it's, it doesn't do any good to serve me. And uh, Job had to repent of that. And he says, well, I'm sorry. I heard about you and all that, but now I've seen you. And he saw the love of God and he was restored. And at the end of, their, at the end there of the book, those three men were in so much trouble that God said, if you'll pray for him, Job, I'll restore him. Otherwise, I'm going to kill him. <laughs> and Job prayed for his friends, and it said when he had prayed for his friends, he began to prosper. Hallelujah. The friends condemned him, but he prayed for his friends. Be the kind of friend that prays for friends, not condemns friends. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Okay, so that's point number one. Be steadfast in your prayers. If I had time, I would talk about praying in the Spirit, and I would talk about fasting. And I would talk even more. We're already talking about being invincible, more than conquerors. But we, uh, I'm going to leave that to Pastor because I know first time I ever come here, it's one of, I was coming even if he, if he would have preached a terrible sermon, and I don't know if he's ever done that. One time he talked about football. I thought he got off a little. But uh, <laughs> I think he was cheering for the Dolphins or something. <laughs> <laughs> but um, but uh, what was I going to say about it? He was preaching the first time I ever got here, but the Holy Spirit had given me, Jenny and I were discussing, she said, well, should we try this church or that church or that church? I said, we can't try no church. God said restoration. Back, back then it was assembly yet, I think. And uh, God said, go to Assembly of God over there on 9th and, and uh, Lincoln. And uh, I just had this joy. That's where we're going. So that's where we went. Uh, and so, but he preached, and the first thing he said was talking about fasting. And so uh, I didn't have to be sold on it, because like I said, I'd have stayed anyway. But I know you know about fasting. I know you know about uh, praying in the Spirit. Uh, those are two powerful weapons that the church is not using very much. There was a reason, Paul said, I'm glad I pray in the Spirit more than all of you. And if somebody in our church in Redfield tries to pray in the Spirit longer than me, I'm going to get jealous, and I'm going to say, somehow I'm going to pass you up. Why? Because I know they're getting more than me. It doesn't have to make sense. 
It just says pray in the Spirit, and the Bible backs up that it's important to pray in the Spirit a lot. I feel like praying in the Spirit right now, but you wouldn't understand it. Hallelujah. Okay, the second part is also in James 5, our second point of about abounding. In, so we're abounding, we're being steadfast in prayer, now we're going to abound in prayer. I got a lot of time, don't I? Hallelujah. Well, that put me at ease. I thought I was further along than that. <laughs> Hallelujah. <clears throat> uh, 5.14, James. Are there any sick among you? Then ask the elders of the church to come and pray over the sick and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will heal the sick and the Lord will raise them up. I uh, love this. This is the, I got to tell you, this is a, the passion version. Um, and the Lord will raise them up. And if they have committed sins, they'll be forgiven. Confess and acknowledge how you have offended one another. And then pray for one another to be instantly healed. For tremendous power is released to the passionate, heartfelt prayer of a godly believer. Tremendous power is released through the passionate heartfelt prayer of a godly believer i hope that's all of our experiences god wants it to be god wants to see power released from us passionate heartfelt people of prayer then he gives another guy's example another an example of another man in the old testament he says elijah was just like us he was humanly frail but he prayed and he received supernatural answers he actually, through prayer, shut up the heavens over the land so that there would be no rain for three and a half years. He actually, through prayer, shut up the heavens for three and a half years so there was no rain. And then he prayed again, and they opened up the skies. God opened up the skies over the land so that the rain came and produced a harvest. Hallelujah. He prayed, and it didn't rain for three and a half years. And then it rained. We got to get to where it's raining. Because you know what happened right before it rained? I mean, it was the rain and all this was manifestation. It says, choose today who you're going to serve. You want to serve the Baal gods and the Ashtoreth gods? 850 prophets were there. And they were calling on the Lord, and they're cutting themselves to pieces, and they're crying out to their God, their Lord. And for hours, and, and um, Elijah, I think God gave him permission to mock him. He said, what are you doing? What's your God doing? Did he have to take a restroom break? Did he go on vacation? Is he just not available right now? And I think if God wants to mock the enemy, he can do that. And that's why I believe Elijah did that. And then, okay, pour water on the sacrifice. Pour, pour, put the sacrifice on. Put the wood on. Pour the water on. Dig a hole. And it says, when he called, he said, Lord God, show him who's boss, in, in, my, in my version. Lord God, show him who's boss. And he came down in fire. Burn up the sacrifice. Burn up the wood. Burn up the water. Burn up the rocks. That's a pretty good answer. That's pretty good hot stuff. I am really thinking Elijah was a man of prayer. What would you do if all the people in the country and the king was hunting you because the Bible says Ahab was hunting him. He wanted to shoot him down. He, he wanted to do it even later on. And, 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 and uh, Elijah said, wiped out 51 people. Then the, another camp of Ahab's people came. 
another 51, a, a commander and 50. They came over and they were going to come and they said, Elijah, Ahab wants you to come with us. And Elijah, man of God, and he says, well, if I'm a man of God, let fire destroy you. So he took out another 51. And then he, another 51, Ahab didn't mind losing a few men. Another 51 come. So he's on the third 51. And they kind of noticed that there was these scorch marks with body figures around. And they, and they said, Elijah, we're just humbly coming just to ask you if you might want to go down. And they were real careful. And so he went with them. He said, hey, king. Oh, this was Ahaziah. I'm sorry. It wasn't uh, Ahab. He, he told Ahaziah, uh, you're going to die on your bed because you won't repent. And so that's what happened. Because he was looking for some other bald prophets to get an answer. And God said, I'm going to send Elijah down there. So they sent Elijah down there. But can you imagine being haunted for three and a half years? What would you be doing? It says he hid by a ravine and an... And a, I can just see this crow. Uh, I call it a crow raven. But this crow, he, jumped, he, he goes past the king's castle, and he sees these delicacies, this meat and slices of bread, because the Bible says, and the crow would grab, not he wouldn't say he grabbed it, but the Bible said that the crow would bring him uh, uh, bread and meat. I'm guessing it. I wish I was there to see where that crow got that from. I'm guessing he got right off Ahab's table when they were having a picnic. Amen. Hallelujah. And how come he feasted so sumptuously by the ravine? On account he's a man of prayer. And when he said to Ahab, he said, he said, Ahab, I'm going to tell you something. God's not going to send rain for three and a half years. That's what he said, 17, 17 chapter verse 1. He says, Ahab, God's not going to send rain for three and a half years. As surely as God lives and I stand before him. You ever notice when people stand before him, the power and the glory and the presence? You notice Isaiah says, I saw the Lord high and lifted up. We can, can we stand before the Lord? Behold, he's given us boldness to go into the holiest through the blood of Jesus. We just got to get in there. You know why we don't get in there? Because we're, we're not steadfast. We're not unmovable. We got to get into that holy place because in the holy place there is power there is joy there's forgiveness there's everything you can imagine for life and godliness peter says i hope i can ask you to make it your goal to get into the holy place quit trying to save people quit trying to build the church quit trying to to do these good works quit trying to go to visit the poor and the sick and the weak oh you think i'm preaching something bad no i'm not Get into the holy place and let him move you out into those places and watch him do it. I, I was telling you earlier, Jenny and I go to church and we watch. What's God going to do today? And we just try to move with him. We're not the best at it yet. We're getting better. I really feel like we've been making progress and letting him do and say what he wants to do and say in that little church in Redfield. <laughs> I just feel bad. There's so much water there. I, I wonder why. Lord, how come they don't see that from out in the street? You know, there's all these homes. I'm saying, God, get in these homes. Draw them in and help us to, as we get into the holy places, we get into his presence, help us to be, you know, he's going to start taking us out. I've noticed a lot of divine appointments lately. And you just go out and you didn't realize, oh, I was going to go try to witness it so-and-so. Here he has me talking to somebody that I wasn't planning on. It's God does it. You're going to start watching to the righteous acts. It's when it's the righteous acts of the saints, when it's the linen that we're going to wear in heaven, it's because God's doing it. Hallelujah. It'll happen because we become people of prayer.
Okay, where in the world does that verse about pleasing God come from? Hebrews eleven six. for without faith it is impossible to please God. But to me, as I read the Bible, if you read the word faith, you can't read it without interchanging it with the word prayer. For without faith it is impossible to please God, for anyone that comes to God must believe that he is and that he's the rewarder of those that diligently seek him. He's the rewarder of those that diligently seek him. That's what faith is. Without faith, it's impossible to please him because those that come to him must believe that he is and he's the rewarder of those, can I change the wording, that cling to him. He's the rewarder of those that cling to him in the spirit, not just gritting your teeth, hoping you got Jesus there, but as you, especially as you pray in the spirit and especially as you fast, you begin to experience a life that's beyond this earthly life. Hallelujah. Luke 18 backs me up on that, backs the Word of God up. Uh, the Bible says, I know Pastor loves this chapter, so you've probably heard it before, but the Bible says that that woman would go to that judge over and over and day and night, and he says, if this lady keeps coming, she's going to wear me out. I'm just going to give her what she wants. But then it says, how much more do you think God will vindicate speedily those that cry to him day and night. Now, Lord showed me here about a week or two ago that that verse is not for everybody. He wants it to be for everybody, but it's not for everybody. So some of you don't have to worry about this verse, but I'm hoping every one of you wants it. I hope if you haven't got it already, you want it. But it's not for everybody, but it can be for everybody. It says... How much more will the Lord vindicate, bring justice, bring an answer to your prayer speedily? Now, justice simply means what's rightfully yours. Jesus paid way too high a price through his blood and his destruction and the pain and the hell that he took and the separation from his father for us to say that we're not worthy through his blood to have healing and the finances we need and the sound mind we need and the healing we need in our body in our mind, our heart, in every part of our life. He paid way too high a price for us to say that, it's, that, that we don't deserve that, that he doesn't deserve that. He wants to bless his kids. I suppose some of you want some of your kids to stay sick. I suppose some of you want some of your kids to have oppression in their mind. I suppose some of you, kids want, some of you want your kids to be poor. I highly doubt that, Amen. God's the same way. He bought and paid for our freedom. The only thing we have to be is steadfast and abounding in the work of prayer. Unmovable. For we know our labor is not in vain in the Lord. He's never let me down once. I'm still praying for a certain city in Kansas to get saved. But other than that, and there's other prayers I'm praying for. But other than, there's so many. I'm, it's like, can I say this? Other than that, they've all been answered. He keeps answering all my prayers. He keeps answering all my prayers. Is your marriage going through something? Don't be Job's friends. Be Job. Go into prayer. Go into prayer. You cannot be defeated. You're more than a conqueror. 
All right, let's just back up this prayer thing a little more. It says in uh, John chapter 2, And the Jews' Passover was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem and found in the temple those that sold oxen and sheep and doves, and the changers of money sitting. And he made a scourge of small cords, cords, and he drove them out of the temple, and the sheep and the oxen poured out the changers' money over through the tables and said to them that sold doves, Take these things hence, make not my father's house a house of merchandise. And his disciples remembered that it was written, The zeal for thine house has eaten me up. Now, now in Matthew chapter 21, I believe here, Now, this is a big pulpit, honey. We need one like this. We were talking about our scrawny pulpit in, uh, in uh, Redfield, and we, this one's nice. Oh, verse 12, 21, 12, it says, Jesus entered the temple where he drove out everybody's buying and selling, overturned the tables and money changers and benches and sell, those selling doves, and he said, my house will be called a house of prayer, but you're making it a den of thieves. Now, this other one here, it says that after, after he said it in John chapter 2, verse 13 through 17, it says, then the disciples remembered Psalm 69. Let's look at Psalm 69, and then we'll go back to Matthew. But um, Psalm 69, verse... Um, eight. Well, let's go to verse nine. This is the verse he quoted. For the zeal for your house consumes me, and the insults of those insult you fell on me. Now, Jesus was a man of prayer. This is talking about Jesus, but it happens to every one of us that follow in his steps. Now, let's go verse eight. He says, I'm a stranger to my brothers, an alien to my mother's sons. Job was a stranger to his friends. Jesus is a stranger to his own mother's sons, in other words, his brothers. Why? Why did it become so hard for Jesus to be liked by those around him? Why did it become so hard for Job to be liked by those around him? Because he was a man of prayer, and because zeal for the house of God had consumed him, and he said, my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. He said, my house will be called a house of prayer. And it was consuming him that his house would actually be what he created it to be. You are his house, the Bible says, if you hold on to the end what you received at the beginning. Your hope that you received from the beginning. You are his house. Are you his house of prayer? Are you crying out to him day and night? Does that verse apply to you? Because it doesn't apply to everybody. But it applies to people that you watch. If they keep getting their prayers answered, you can figure they're getting, they've been praying all the time. Because he answers speedily those that cry to him day and night. And there's friction on the outside when you make yourself a man or woman of prayer. It says in verse 10, when I weep and fast, Psalm 69, 10, when I weep and fast, I must endure scorn. When I put on sackcloth, people make sport of me. Those who sit at the gate mock me, and I'm a song to the drunkards. Everybody thinks I'm a crazy guy or a crazy lady. But I pray to you, Lord, in the time of your favor, in your great love, O Lord, answer me with your sure deliverance. All this stuff's coming against me. People think I'm crazy for standing firm, but your sure deliverance is coming. 
and the drunkards and the naysayers and the condemners and the people that call me windbags, they are going to see that I have something they want and they're going to come to you and they're going to come to me and they're going to want what we've got if we've got what we say we've got. We don't understand I'm just beginning to touch the tip of the iceberg of how we understand that this life he's called us to is not what we thought it was. We thought the church was a bunch of programs. I know we've heard that before, but I'm trying to help us to see what it really is today. It's a house of prayer. It's nothing else. If it's not a house of prayer, if it's not a house of prayer, it is a house of merchandise. If it's not a house of prayer, it's selfish people doing selfish things all by themselves. I'm not going to preach that message. That's another message. But it's true. If it's not a house of prayer, it's not what he's looking for. A house of prayer is communication with him. It's sharing his burden. It's sharing his heart. It's sharing his zeal. It's sharing who he is. The Holy Spirit's uh, uh, just, just stirring power and zeal and fire moving through us. Of course, there's going to be times of stillness, and there's going to be times of, uh, of quietness and stuff. And I found in my own life it usually comes because of some horrendous warfare breaking through into the holy place. And then at last, you can just be where he's holding you and giving you strength. And then you just walk out. I love that verse. I don't think I'm distorting it much. But uh, in Peter, it says, and holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. They wrote as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. You know what? We need to be holy men and women of God without spot or wrinkle. The Bible says he's coming back for you and me without spot or wrinkle. And then if we could actually be in a place of prayer, in the holy place, and get his glory and his presence on us, what if he would just move us out to visit the poor, to visit the sick, to take care of the, will, the elderly and the orphans? What if he was doing it instead of letting it be our program? Because our program does all kinds of selfish stuff. Our heart's still deceitful. i got to be close to him. And now it feels so good when it's truly his love instead of my false compassion. False compassion tells people, I mean, this is, this is what we're at. It's where we're at now. It tells people it's okay to be transgender. That's not self-compassion. That's not, that's not compassion. That's mutilation. That's wrong. That's perverted in the mind. There's so many other things. That's, that's the extreme extreme. But there's so many other places where we, well, um, my son, he's kind of tired today. I ain't going to make him do chores this week or next week. Pretty soon you got a guy that watches TV the rest of his life or video games, whatever. What I'm saying, you know what I'm saying? If we get into his presence, it'll be the real deal. Sometimes it's going to be love that says, love them enough to help them get a work ethic. And other times it's going to say, love them enough to give them a rest. But it'll be love. It'll be, the, it'll be for them. And we'll know it's for him because it comes from him. Hallelujah. Hmm. Hallelujah, Jesus. 
Let's, let's look at some more um, Matthew 21, 12. Just want to, I want you guys to see the goal. And Jesus cleaned up that temple. And I find in my own life, I may want the church in Redfield, South Dakota, the body of Christ to grow. I even want it to grow interdenominationally as much, as much, as much as possible. But I've found that this temple right here needs to be cleaned too. And so corporate temple, individual temples, let's look at that as both right here. Verse 14, it says, right after he cleaned it all up, the blind and the lame came to him in the temple and they were healed. But when the chief priests and the teachers of the law saw the wonderful things that the children and the children shouting in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. Do you hear what these guys are saying, these kids, they, they asked? Yes, replied Jesus. Haven't you ever heard uh, from the lips of children, babes, and sucklings, you have ordained praise? And he left them and went out in the city. After the temple was cleaned up, after it became a house of prayer, he instantly was the house of prayer in the house of prayer. And at the temple, when he cleaned it up and became the house of prayer itself, miracles began to happen. Miracles began to happen. When we cry to God day and night, when you cling to Father God like Jesus did, we will begin to see heaven on earth. There is absolutely zero doubt in my mind that we are beginning to see that. We can see that. You can see it. How can I tell you to be a person of day and night prayer? God is, I, I, we, we had an impromptu prayer meeting about three, four months ago up in Aberdeen. Uh, Pastor Drew was preaching. I happened to catch it on TV, and he was telling the congregation that he was over. He was saying, I just feel like the Lord wants us to pray tonight. So I went up to that prayer meeting, and strongly a prophetic word came from the Lord that he wants to, he, that song we just sang even today, it says, uh, let incense arise day and night, night and day, let incense arise. He's worthy of it all. He's worthy of it all. All the righteous acts of the saints, he, got, he wants to get the glory. We've been trying to do it ourselves. When we cry out to him and we know we can't do it when it becomes him doing it it's because we've been day and night prayer I know I'm saying that a lot but I want you never to forget it's it's not going to be because you kind of prayed day and night it's going to be because you're clinging to him and every time you get a moment it's like oh I got time I can go take and do my favorite no I want to go pray but no you're not doing it because you're supposed to go to a prayer meeting and this this I'll close on this this will help you understand it. We're not going to the prayer meeting to feel, feel some kind of obligation, and yet I think we do that. We're going to the prayer meeting because we really have a need. Maybe I need to see my body healed. Maybe I need to see my finances. Maybe I need to uh, fulfill an agenda that pastor has for me. Maybe, because that stuff's important. Whatever it is, there's got to come a point where all we want in prayer is for him to get the glory. So I'm going to tell you about my favorite movie. It happened about 30 years ago, 1990-something. And uh, it was called Iron Will. Anybody ever hear Iron Will? Oh, wow. You poor people. <laughs> Iron Will is about this young man. He was uh, from South Dakota. 
I don't know if truly the guy was from South Dakota, but the guy that they kind of based the movie off of was from the United States. And they were, they were doing a dog sled race. Well, actually, he was in a, he, his dad did well at farming and building furniture and stuff. Well, his dad died in a big raging river. So he's left trying to figure out how are we going to keep the farm because we owe money on the farm. So he's thinking, ah, they saw this in the paper. And his dad had even thought about it, but really thought he was too old to go, so he wasn't going to go. Son, 17 years old, sees it in the paper, 10,000 bucks, 1917. This literally happened in 1917. Uh, it's very loosely connected to that real deal, but, but it really did happen. And 10,000 bucks, and he's like, that would take care of the farm and more in 1917. So he enters the race. And there's all kinds of hardships. Uh, he's never done anything like this. There were storms coming up, and, and, uh, and there's just treacherous places to try to get up and get down and get through. And he was just taking a toll on him. And one of his uh, mentors told him, never stop. Listen. He said, listen to your dogs and never stop. When the other guys are sleeping, you keep going. All the young guys, a lot of times, they can keep going better. So he just kept going a lot of times deep into the night. Well, one time... He had to stop because he had this compassionate heart. And this uh, guy, I believe, from Sweden, Grogan, he, uh, he uh, laid out and he was dying of a fever. And there's a train going, you know, that tracks that go by not too far from there. So uh, Iron Will was his name. Iron, or Will, stone man, he, uh, he picked him up and the guy goes, no, 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 go, go. He says, just let me die. Just go. But no, he got him on his sled. He took him over where the train could meet him, and he, and he saved his life. So he's doing that while these other guys are racing to get down from all the way from Winnipeg, Winnipeg Manitoba, Canada, all the way down to St. Paul, Minnesota, which at that time, uh, the areas that they were in made it about 500-mile race. And uh, so then one day he was... He just had a big wreck by the train tracks. Uh, somehow his uh, sled got caught in it or something, and it just broke it to pieces. So he comes in. Everybody's already taking it easy and resting. And he comes into the stopping point, and he says, I need, a, I need a blacksmith. I need somebody to help fix my sled. And he's just drained. He comes in, you know, really late. And so then, then he's... Then this, and this other guy that kind of promoted the thing and started the race and everything, he's a... a sinister guy and he keeps offering will he keeps saying you know i could give you three thousand dollars and uh and if you just come out of the race because he knew will might win because they think this guy keeps catching up and passing them and so he's so he offered him three thousand another day he offered him five thousand so anyway will is getting tired he's getting completely drained completely it took only about 10 11 days to to do the whole race 500 miles and he's getting so tired he's getting so drained he's got lips that are all bloody and, and uh frostbit and it's cracked up and then uh his his hands and his his fingers are getting all full of blood and they're all frostbitten and he can barely move he comes in the last night after everybody's already there it's the night before the, the the finish of the race and he comes in and he lays back and he had made through hardships he made friends with this newspaper guy and the newspaper guy helped him he just kind of laid back on a bunch of sacks or something and he's uh he just laid there and he said he said to the guy he said wake me up in three hours he goes no wake me up in two hours so in two hours he wakes him up and he's still laying there just like that and he, he gets up, the guy woke him up, and he couldn't get his body to move. He could, well, he could move as he said. He said, what's wrong? He said, I can't move my body. He says, Will, you've got to stop. And you know what Will said? Will said, he said, I can't. I can't. It's not about me anymore. 
It's about those people pulling. It was in the papers. They were even sending papers out in 1917. And he says, it's about those people that are pulling for me. It's about those people that cheered me on the way. It's about those young men that broke trail for me at that one spot. He says, I got to do it for them. Will had given up. He would have took the 5,000 from the guy the night before to just quit the race instead of getting 10. But Will had given up, but for one reason he kept going. He said, it's all about those other people. I was going through this thing in 1989. I, I began to think about the church, and I saw people, yep, my headache went away, stuff like that. You'd pray for people, and little things would happen. Kind of like that one town in his hometown that says they couldn't do many miracles, just healed a few sick folk. And I was tired, 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 tired of not seeing anybody that I could really put a finger on it that somebody had been healed. So the pastor at that time, he said, he had a big sermon on the smorgasbord of God. He said, just come forward for the smorgasbord of God. He said, just come up and ask for anything you want, just on this luscious table. So I came up to the altar, and strongly the Holy Spirit was on me. I'm in all kinds of pain because I, I'm going through this back deal that happened when my other God, wrestling, had uh, beat me all up. And so I come up there, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask for healing for my wrestling, for my back problem. I got up there, and the Holy Spirit, don't, don't ask, just take it. So I go, okay, I take it. And guess what verse he gave me immediately? It says, the kingdom of heaven permits violence, and the violent take it by force. And I thought, yeah. I'll have this tonight or tomorrow. I just figured it would be that day or the next day. Nine months later, I got healed in that little scenario I told you about condemnation had to leave. I also got rid of fear shortly in that same amount of time. When fear and condemnation left, it was subconscious. I didn't even know I had it. I knew all the verses, but I didn't know I had that stuff, and I couldn't admit it. I didn't understand that cloud of darkness on me was condemnation, and I got rid of it, and, and I was healed, and I've had to fight for healing for the last 34 years, is it? Because it, treats, it tries to come back. First, it'd come back about every two weeks, then every two months, then every six months. It keeps trying to come back, and I just keep fighting it and fighting it, and I'd always get the victory, and I still get it to this day. But I was going through this. I would sit on the tractor and I couldn't reach down. There's a, on them older tractors, there's a brake down here, and you've got to reach down to, to lock it so you don't roll forward and hit the gate. And it was things like that. I'd take up post, and I'd go down, and I'd grab a post, and I'd lift it up, and I'd turn it like this, and I'd help my dad. He got sick of seeing me in pain, but he didn't like it, but I'd keep helping. One time I turned just a little too much. I just felt, instead of staying totally stiff, I turned a little too much. And I was fighting, and I was fighting like iron wheel. I was just fighting, and I was just fighting. I'm going to get this thing. So I, that day when that post just about, it just excruciating up and down all my whole body. I couldn't handle it. I went down. I, I went, and I ate real quick. I went down to my bedroom in the basement, and I, and I, um, I called um, Mrs. Dunkley. Ruth. I called Ruth, prayer warrior. And so she starts praying, and she goes, Satan, you take your hands off his ears. And as soon as she was done praying, she, probably, she said, I don't know that she said a whole lot more than that, but that's the part I remember. Satan, you take his hands off your, your hands off his ears. So I laid down. I slept. I thought all I did is blink my eyes. I went back upstairs. It was 20 minutes that had already gone by. I had slept for a new nap for 20 minutes. And I, and I felt totally, what I knew that meant because I had already called on the elders of the church, I already did that part. It, because that verse came to me, 
uh, when she prayed. It says, call the elders, church, let them pray over and pray over faith, self sick, the Lord will raise him up, and if he commits sins, the sins will be forgiven. I had, already, I had already done that. So when she prayed that, I heard that verse, and I go, okay, we got that done. I knew that was done. And then when I woke up, I was healed for like 20 minutes again. I knew that this belongs to me because God don't go like this and just say, try it again, try it again. I was just learning how to keep it. I didn't know how to keep it. So it came back, and it was a long time. It took nine months, approximately nine months, from the uh, spring of 89 till like January, February of 1990 for me to receive healing and began to run and jump. God always gave me this verse. He said, you're going to run like a deer. You're going to jump like a deer. You're going to stand on the heights again. And I used to jump over the fences to, to uh, do the hog chores because I got a lot of different hog lots. They're not real high fences. And then there's this one gate about like that. I can't do that one anymore. But I could that. I could after I got healed. There was this big red gate, and it's kind of downhill, so I had to cheat, but I don't think I'd come back up. But I'm just saying he made me like feet of a deer. I got to run again. I got to jump again. I was running after a bull all across the, the big expanse over there one day, and there a bunch of company and stuff. Like, wow, look at that guy run. He runs like the wind. Yes, I do, because of him. It was all because of Jesus. That was after he healed me. Before that, it was more like, and a lot of times I, I always had to walk like this. What happened during that pain? I got to the point where I don't want this anymore. I don't need the answer. I, I don't need to win the race. I'm done. But guess what rose up inside me? Something called the Holy Ghost. And you are wrong if you're thinking I was going to do it for people. I said, it's about time. Remember what I said about our little church? Healing here, healing there, but you never knew for sure if it was really supernatural or people just saying it was. And I was so tired of not seeing anything supernatural. I said, it's time for God to get to glory. I didn't care if I died. That's where I was. So I had an advantage over even me today probably because I probably care if I die right now. But back then, I didn't care if I died. It's like if, if that wasn't God up at the smorgasbord and he said, take it. The kingdom of heaven permits violence and the violent take it by force. If that wasn't God, then I'm just idiot anyway for following him. So I said, if I die, I die. But God's going to get to glory, and it's time the devil keeps, quits backing people off from what they deserve and what Jesus paid for them. Iron Will did it for the people. I don't know that I could do that. I could, I think, because of the Holy Spirit. But I did it because I said, okay. And when you hear me pray to this day, I still pray, God, you get to glory. God, be glorified. Father, be glorified. Be glorified, Lord God. Hallelujah. Stand. Uh, Marla, you want to come up and do some music? Hallelujah. Be glorified, Father God. Be glorified. So you come, come to the prayer meeting for whatever, but hopefully somewhere in there it becomes of, I just want God to get the glory. I just want God to get the glory. I just want God to get the glory. And guess what? If he gets the glory, we're all mutually benefited anyway. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Lord God. Let's just look to the Lord a little bit here. Oh, hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Lord God. Hallelujah. You are worthy. You are worthy. You are worthy. You are worthy. Hallelujah, Jesus. Look to the Lord, guys. Look to the Lord. Huh? We just pr pray right where you're at, but let's look to the Lord a little bit. Hallelujah. Father God, it seems strange to our fleshly minds that you would ask people to cry to you day and night, that you'd want innocence to go up day and night. 
just like at uh, at the prayer meeting that you prophetically said it's so strong you're looking for people that'll cry to you day and night you're looking for people that'll cling to you and represent you well father god help us lord god because what we've been living has not satisfied us help us father to try your way lord jesus name hallelujah lord we look to you father god in jesus name hallelujah jesus God. Hallelujah, Jesus. Let me read this to you. Just a little um, background is you look in the Bible, it says Israel was cut off that we might be grafted in. So we are in some spiritual ways. I know we're not Israel. I know there's doctrine and all that. I'm just saying we, we are the Israel of God in the sense that we've been grafted into Israel. So when I see stuff about Israel, a lot of times I like to put the word church in. I'm just going to read this to you. This can be you guys. This can be us. This should be the assemblies of God all over the state. It says, and I'm, instead of saying Zion or Jerusalem, I'm going to say church. For the church's sake, I will not keep quiet. For the church's sake, I will not remain quiet. I will not be silent till her righteousness shines out like the dawn as a young man marries a maiden so the church's builder will marry you as a bridegroom rejoices over her his bride so your god will rejoice over the church i have posted watchmen on your walls O church they will never be silent day or night you who call on the lord give yourself no rest and give him no rest till he establishes the church and makes her the praise of all the earth. The Lord has made proclamation to the ends of the earth. Say to the offspring of the church, See, your Savior comes. See, his reward is with him. And his recompense, he's paying back his enemies, accompanies him. They will be called holy people, the redeemed of the Lord. Remember, spot, no spot, no, no wrinkle. They will be called holy people, the redeemed of the Lord. And you will be called sought after, the church no longer deserted. They ought to be knocking down our doors if we were people praying day and night. It says to never be silent day or night. They're going to cry to him day and night till the church is established. If we'll cry to him day and night, if we'll, move, we'll change our whole schedule and say, I think I'm going to get on his schedule. And we've been to desperately cry out to God his spirit will begin to desperately cry out through us and we will begin to be the church that they hunger and thirst for the Bible says they're going to be the church that is sought after no longer deserted the church has been deserted for a long time because we deserted Jesus we didn't think we did we had a form of godliness but we've got to get back to the life even if I didn't see a healing I've got to hear I've got to feel and sense the presence of the river of life himself or I will not be satisfied but with that will come healing anyway we will be the church no longer deserted and we'll have people knocking down our walls to get in here because the Bible says you will be called sought after. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, Father. We worship you. We worship you, Lord. Hallelujah. Father, teach me. Just say this in your heart if you can. Teach me. Teach me, Lord God. Help me, Lord, to be determined. 
Help me to cry to you day and night. Help me to care about your glory. Whatever it takes. This is a hard one. I did this back then. Whatever it takes, Lord God, put my put the fire back in me. Whatever circumstance, whatever problem, whatever situation, Lord God, whatever it takes, put the fire back in me and help me to seek your face, Lord God, day and night and to know you like I used to, Lord God. In Jesus' name, Father God, and even better than I used to. And everybody said, Hallelujah. 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 Oh, thank you, Lord, for delivering that message through your servant, Mark. I just ask that you bless this ministry to abundance and overflowing. Bring the people to here and protect them because they will be attacked. I pray the Spirit will guide you throughout the week, that you would bless one another. Now go out and express your kindness and love to the unreached. Thank you for coming. God bless you. Go.